0: Ah, yeah, there we go. Uh, I'm not going to start again. It's too much to go over. Um, I, 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 I love. I, I'm going to walk. Okay, is that all right? I, I don't kind of stand still. I kind of walk around a lot. I, I'm very, very honoured to be asked to come and spend some time with you guys. And um, you don't know who listens to you when you're on radio. You just don't know. You have no idea what goes on. Um, and there are some amazing stories that I could tell you of my years of doing breakfast for UCB about how God decides to use you in a moment and you don't realize what you're saying but actually in all honesty it stops somebody from committing suicide and you only find out four or five years later and you think whoa or you get to journey with somebody who is lonely found a boyfriend, found a fiance, got married, had kids, and now the twins are four, and they take you on this journey with them. And that's a real privilege and a real honor. And for those of you who've ever taken time to switch me on and invite me into your lives over whatever years it was uh, when I was the breakfast presenter at UCB, thank you. Because actually, you don't know how much you encourage us by just being there. And that makes a huge difference to us. It really does. So, over the years, I've done radio for UCB, for the Word for Today. Some of you would have been unfortunate enough to see my ugly mug in a Word for Today, uh, which has nothing to do with me. But um, And now things change again. What I do now for UCB is actually I manage radio stations across the world. And I build radio stations across the world. And that gives me the opportunity to invest in other nations who want to reach people for Jesus in their language. And that's really, really cool. And I'm back here for a lot of the time now. I'm working with UCB Ireland. We're reforming it. We're reshaping it. We're moving it forward for its future and looking towards where that future could be. And that's a big challenge. So we would appreciate your prayers as we move forward with that. Uh, so I'm kind of here. Dublin stuck with me for another 18 months at least. You know, so I'll be in and out. But when Brian uh, asked me when I come to speak, he, he talked about running with giants There are so many giants in the Bible. And the reality about all of the giants in the Bible, they were just like you and me. They didn't set out to be giants. They didn't even believe at the time that they would be giants. And actually, what is a giant? A giant is only somebody who begins to follow what God has called them to do and allow God to allow them make an impact on the world. And even at the time, they had no idea. So who's one of my favorite giants? Uh, No apology at all. One of my favorite giants of the Bible is Peter. And I don't think he gets the recognition that he deserves. I really don't. Because Peter, honestly, is just like you and me. Peter didn't come from a privileged background. Peter was born into oppression. He lived in times of uncertainty. He went from day to day wondering whether he'd have any food on the table. He was just an honest worker. But Peter lived a life of choice. And I loved what Brian said earlier on as he was, he was just talking about, we have a choice to come in here in one way and go out in another way. We have a choice in life each and every day to run into God or run away from him. Regardless of of what's going on in our lives, that's what we have the choice to do. Now, does that mean that we run into God and go, Hallelujah, praise Jesus and start speaking in tongues and, you know, going around an evangelist? No, 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 no. We run into God for security. We run into God for the ability to get into the next day. We run into God with reality that says, I don't know where I'm going right now but I think you do. And if that's all right, then I'm going to hold your hand. Now, what are you going to do? The the problem is we go, actually, God, when I'm perfect, then I can stand next to you. And he goes, that's not what I want. I want you to stand next to me now and understand that you're not perfect anyway. And actually on this journey, we can journey together. And Peter for me was all of that. Very quickly, what I want to do is I want to go through five, 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 get that one, five, five, five points of Peter, all right? First of all, the call, then we'll look at the commission, we look at the trust, we look at the fall, and then the forgiveness and recommission. Yeah, big, big titles, okay? What about the call of Peter? I could stop and go through scriptures, I'll give you the references. The call of Peter is in the Gospel of John, it's in chapter 1, verses 40 to 43, We've set the scene, he's a working man. He has responsibilities, he's got to pay his mortgage, whatever that might be, okay? But he has a wife, he's got, he has to pay. And all this is going on around him, this new Messiah guy is is kind of making an impact on the known world. We're in a time of oppression, the Romans have grabbed hold of everything, and taxes are high, all sorts of things. And Peter is just a fisherman just a fisherman. that's what he does he's probably learnt the craft from his father from his father's father From he's, it's a generational thing and Peter is in a, go out to Hoth you'll see it it's in a generational thing he's in his fishing boat and he's trying to fish on the Sea of Galilee and someone else has to come and tell him that the Messiah has arrived he's so focused on what he's doing he doesn't even know and Andrew comes running down the beach to say guess who I found I think it's Jesus of Nazareth. There's a brilliant scene in it where he's depicted as looking at Andrew as if to say, really? I've got all these fish and you're telling me some bloke's turned up in the middle of all this and he's going to change the world. Really? Get lost. There's a reality about Peter. There really is a reality about Peter. There's an honesty and a simplicity. There's a gruffness and there's a world-beaten man that goes, do you know what? Really Now this is all my paraphrase. This is my thinking. Scripture doesn't tell us that, but you've got to look at the scene of it. What it does tell us is that he gets out of the boat and he follows Jesus. Choice number one. I wonder what his wife said. "Peter, what the hell do you think you're doing?" Put some fish on the table for crying out loud, man. Get back in your boat. But here's the thing. Peter must have seen something in Christ that was so different that he was willing to leave it behind. That he was willing to walk away and go, yeah, I know that, but this is different. I'm not even sure what it is yet, but it's different, and I'm willing to go and find out. I'm willing to follow this guy and just hear the rants of a weird preacher who talks about a different kind of love and a different kind of acceptance and love your enemy. What the hell's with that? But I'm going to do it anyway because actually there's something different and I don't quite can not quite put my finger on the pulse yet. So Peter makes the choice to leave behind what he's used to, the security of what he's used to, and follow somebody who never said he was going to pay a penny for him. All Jesus said was, Follow me. He didn't say, Follow me and I'll pay your mortgage. Follow me, I'll pay your taxes. Follow me, I'll put food in your belly. He just said, Follow me. Something clicked. Suddenly, Peter's on the road with Jesus. I've been to Israel. Anybody been to Israel? I had the privilege of going to Israel two years ago with UCB. And uh, I, I did the Bible Lands tour phenomenal unbelievable if you ever get the opportunity please go it just opens up the bible to you it's incredible excuse me And i'm on this bible lands tour and it's led by my boss and it's all scripture based and and we get to a place called caesarea philippi now do you know what caesarea philippi is anybody tell me what happened at caesarea philippi Come on now, come on, Brian, come on, come on. I won't embarrass you anymore. Okay, Caesarea Philippi is where a revelation takes place. Now, let me tell you a bit about Caesarea Philippi, and I didn't know this until two years ago. Uh, Caesarea Philippi was a town given to the son of the Caesar as a gift. So it was the Caesar's, and he gave it to Philip, his son. Here you go, son, have your tinsel town. In the day, historically, Caesarea Philippi was the known anything of the world. Whatever you wanted, you got. It didn't matter what you want, it was available 24 7, 365. It was party town. It was the place where the Romans went for everything. And here's Jesus. I love this. This is incredible. He takes the 12 to Caesarea Philippi. He takes these guys who are kind of not really long out of nappies because most of them, all of them, bar Peter and Jesus, couldn't pay tax. So that meant they were under 21. So he takes them, underage guys, to Caesarea Philippi, right in the middle of a den of iniquity. And they're all going, can't look. She's got no clothes on. He's offered me opium. I can't look. What the? And there was, I wonder how many of them think, what is Jesus doing? The rabbi is taking us to a den of iniquity. What on earth is he doing? And Jesus is so clever because right in the middle of that he goes, excuse me, guys, come here, come here. Don't look, don't look. Can you imagine it? Seriously, don't look, don't (laughs) look. She's gorgeous, but I can't look at her. (laughs) The rabbi had slapped me. (laughs) And Jesus goes, come here. I know what they say about me in the synagogues. I know what the rulers and the teachers of the law are saying about me. But who do you say that I am? It's easy to say Jesus is Lord in church. It is easy to say Jesus is Lord on a Sunday morning. But when the... Can I say (laughs) crap? Write this off the tape. When the crap hits you on Monday, can you honestly say Jesus is Lord? Jesus is so clever because he brings them right in the middle of the distractions, right in the middle of everything that would take their mind off who he is, and he goes, now tell me who I am. Who do you think that I am? When all this is going on around you, when you've got distractions on your your iPad, your iPhone, your computer, your work, your business, your mortgage, your bills to pay, when life hits you, who am I? And they kind of come up with all these kind of... Liturgical reasons of who he could be and this theology. And Peter goes, I know. You're the Christ. The fisherman who just decided, I'm going to follow and see what happens. He goes, You're the Christ. And actually, I think you've got it together. And the response is, You know what, Peter? You're right. I am. And with these twelve people, Caesarea Philippi is not only because he goes on to talk about Peter uh, and upon this rock, Caesarea Philippi is a cliff, it's on a rock. So it's metaphoric and physical. In the den of iniquity, Jesus goes, Peter, you've got it, you've got the revelation. Here's where we start to build a kingdom. Not in the synagogue. Not in holy church. Right here where the trouble is, where the rubbish is, where people are in desperation, where people are chasing something they can't find, Jesus goes, this is where we start. Your prayer to change crumlin. This is where we start. Why? Because that's where Jesus started. He didn't start in the churches in the synagogues and the holy places. He started where people needed him. But he needed people to understand who he was. And Peter got it. Peter really, really got it. As we go on in the life of Peter, we get to the Sea of Galilee. I've had the the pleasure of being on the Sea of Galilee. I've got the pleasure of running into the Sea of Galilee. Somebody told me, you can get down to it there. I ran. And I'll tell you why I ran. In 2011... God began to talk to me about making a big move in my life. And that was to give up the breakfast show on UCB UK. The very thing that I'd moved my family for. Out of Milton Keynes where we lived, 125 miles north, moved the family, moved the children. They only knew that. They never knew dad at home in the mornings. I was always on air, all sorts of things. This is the reason I existed and God said it's time to give it up that was in the beginning of 2011 it wasn't until August of 2011 that I actually went part-time at UCB and when you do that you can't do the breakfast show that's you just can't do it you've got to give it up and I knew that would be difficult and I knew actually I needed to do it I was tired uh, I kind of wasn't well either there was a lot of things going on in my mind and I was focusing on one or two other things outside of UCB so I went part-time I went to three days a week And I had external contracts lined up that was going to get involved in music and all sorts of things. I was going to do lots of different things. And almost the week I went part-time, those external contracts just faded away and went. So I was down to three days a week. People thought I was mad. For six months, my wife very faithfully would go to work knowing that on my days of not working at UCB, I would get out of bed... I would go into my son's bedroom, I would switch on FIFA, and I would play FIFA for eight hours because I was lost. I had no idea who I was. They couldn't find a replacement for me for breakfast, so I kept looking over my shoulder thinking, I've made a mistake. I have not heard God's call on my life. I've made a mistake. I'll knock on the door and I'll say, I'll come back. Don't worry about it. Because they were desperate. They did three national campaigns and couldn't find anybody to replace me because just I'm that good. I'm just amazing. <laughs> I'm amazing. Look at me. But that wasn't the right thing either. So six months into this thing, I became really, really, really good at FIFA. I was just legendary. I bought and sold Lionel Messi. I don't know how many times. I, I won everything blindfolded with Aston Villa, which in a feat of self is ridiculous. But there was a point of desperation where I cried out. And the word that God had given me to, to move on was all about Peter getting out of the boat. People say that Peter failed when he got out of the boat. Not a chance. But he drowned. Well, he didn't drown. <laughs> but he got wet. Well, yes, he did. Well, that's failure. Who else got out of the boat? Huh? There was a bucket load of them in the boat. Who else had the courage to stand up and say, If it's you, Jesus, call me. Now, I wonder how many have lived life in such a way the ego. If you're there, call me. If you're there, show up. If you're there, supply my need. If you really mean it, then where's the miracle? Because that's what I need right now. And I'm sure in this moment of time, Jesus is on the water and Peter's going, I still have no idea what's going on. Jesus, if it's you, then you call me. And Jesus goes, okay. Come on. Now, takes a step of faith, because he could have shrunk back and gone, not a chance. I've worked on this thing all my life. I know the minute my toe goes in it, I sink. Or, he can put his complete faith in Jesus, and get out of the boat. So he does, and he miraculously walks on water. I don't care if it was two feet, and he saw the way. He's on water, and he's standing there. He sees the waves. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And his focus has taken off Jesus. And he begins to sink. Listen, if you're going through a crisis and you call on God and God turns up, do not take your focus off him. Why? Because your circumstances will begin to drown you. And he is bigger than your circumstances. Every time. I don't care what your circumstances are. He is bigger than your circumstances. And Peter stands there and goes, Jesus! And Jesus goes, yes. I got you. How many miracles happen in that one action? I get out of the boat, I stand on water, I'm walking on water, I see the waves, I start to sink and drown, and the Savior of the world physically saves me when I call on his name. And yet, the rest of them are in the boat and they don't even know what's happening. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. So I'm loving this and God's saying, get out of the boat, Rob. And I'm going, yes, God, I'm getting out of the boat. I'm getting out of the boat. And six months later when nothing has happened and I'm still on three days a week and I'm not doing the breakfast show and I can't figure out who I am and I'm going, God, I did my bit. Now you turn up. Sorry for shouting, excuse me. And I was not prepared for the answer that I got. And the answer was simply this and it might apply to somebody here. Rob, I can't use you in the future until you let go of the past. I was still holding on to the breakfast show just in case they might need me, my ego. (laughs) I'm brilliant at what I do. They might just need me. Let go and fully trust. So I don't know what you're holding on to. But the reality is that God cannot use you in the future until you let go of the past because he's got something else to give you. You can't take hold of it until you let go of it. So it did. I thought, well, I'm going to drown or you're going to save me. That's, that's the deal. Little by little. Was it, it was, I was blindsided by what happened next. Over the two years since, well, whatever it was. I've ended up in a position at UCB that I could have never even dreamed I still have a record label. I still have a management company. They're still going okay. God's still using that to a degree. Still have a publishing company. All that sort of stuff. Sounds grand. It's not. It's just an administration thing. But the role I now play in UCB is just awesome. But until I let go of breakfast fully and realized that I was not going back to that, that I was going forward, I could have never been in the right mindset to understand that actually the next role takes me way beyond that and I get not about me look at me but I get to invest in people who want to do that in their country I've just come from France I flew in on Thursday from France spending time with the new breakfast crew and to see the fire and the passion in their eyes the excitement you think yes but I have to let go now Peter's a really good guy okay he's been called he knows who Christ is. He's had the revelation. He's a really, really cool guy. He's seen salvation. He's walked on water. He does all sorts of things. And things are hunky-dory. Until what? Until the moment where Jesus really needs him. Till the Garden of Gethsemane. Been to the Garden of Gethsemane. I wept. I just couldn't believe the place. Everything about it was really, really strange. Right here is the garden tomb. Across the Kidron Valley, which is not big. It's like walking from here to, well, I don't know, maybe your house. Okay, It's the gates of Jerusalem, the east gate that he knows he's going to go through. And the next thing that happens there is he's going to be sentenced to death. Right over the hill is Bethany, and he could have legged it back to Lazarus and the two girls. Garden of Gethsemane was... A public park. There was people everywhere. It wasn't private. It wasn't secluded. It wasn't anything. It was a public park. Jesus could have liked it. He could have just liked it. But in my time there, I realized, standing there, I thought, this was, this was the place that Jesus knew there was no plan B. Knew that he had to fulfill the will of his Father. Knew that he was going to go to his death. And more importantly, he knew that I was worth dying for. And it's two and a half thousand years later, whatever, the, give or take a few hundred years. And it happened here. Somewhere in this area, it happened here. What also happened in that area, when they came to arrest, uh, Jesus said, I'm going to be arrested. And Peter said, what did he say? Even if all flee, I will never leave you. Of course he wouldn't. He's the rock. We're building the church. He's the rock. He's the wood. Pfft, tag it, Peter. You're it. You're the number two guy. You're, you're on it yes, they come together and Peter draws a sword, wallop. He still hasn't learned that it's got nothing to do with violence. He still hasn't learned that it's got nothing to do with strength, it's got nothing to do with anything other than the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus. And in the middle of the chaos, fear begins to settle back in again. Fear becomes to this very strong man In my eyes, a giant of the faith. Fear settles in on them. And on that Thursday night into Friday morning, the accusations start to come. Have you ever noticed that the accusations come at night? They never really come during the day. We tend to be preoccupied with whatever is going on. In the darkness of the night, the accusations come. You were with him. Jesus had foretold this and he said, I'll never leave you, God. Don't say that of me. I'll never do this. You're one of his followers. <laughs> Don't be a stupid girl I'm not. Somebody else. I'm not going to go into it word by word, but three times. And then Jesus shows him exactly the cock crows. Everything in Peter must have crashed everything, where he stood there and just went, oh, what have I done? What have I done? Now, we're not in the situation where we physically are watching Jesus being led to his death. But we are in the situation where we're in work and people start having a go with people. People start ridiculing people. And we kind of join in. Or on Sunday, we're a Christian, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're really not, but no one knows. At what point do we get to a stage, and listen, I know life is tough, I'm not, you know, Fran will tell you, he's my older brother, he'll tell you exactly what I'm like. Yeah, I'm not perfect, by no stretch of the imagination. But actually, I do know that God is, and I want to hold on to him as much as I can. Do I let go sometimes? Yeah, because I think I've got it sussed. And actually then I have to go back and say, yeah, you were right, I was wrong. But I choose to go back. And that's what this is all about. Everything that Peter did had a choice, even to the point of denial. He could have chosen and could have stood up and go, damn straight, I'm with him. I'll stand right by his side. You want to kill him, you kill me. But it's fear. It's circumstances. It's fully understandable. He got so scared. I went, no, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. We know that Jesus dies. We know that Jesus... Mary uh, finds the tomb and Jesus is risen and she comes... Who is the first person to go into the tomb? You read on in Scripture... Peter, it says that the younger disciple got there first, but he stopped. Peter didn't stop. He ran straight into the burial place and goes, please let it be true. Please let there be something within this that actually can save me. Because I blew it two days ago. And the body's not there. Now he's freaking out. Because he doesn't know what's happening next. And actually a lot of things take place before the recommission and forgiveness take place. There's the visitation of Jesus a number of times when they're in the upper room. And Peter's still kind of, am I in? Am I out? Does he love me? Does he not? Did I lose my... And I don't... Again, guys, how many times do we actually go, does, does Jesus really love me? You know, I've, I've blown it so much. You know, today I woke up and I did this. And there's no way God can forgive me now. Does he really love me? I don't think he does. So I'll stay here for a bit. And I wonder whether Peter, and I don't know. I'm going to ask him when I see him. But I wonder whether Peter actually waited back to see whether Jesus would actually recognize him again. To see whether Jesus would see what he saw in him when he was on the earth. And then it happened over breakfast. See, I love that. Because it didn't happen in a religious setting. It didn't happen in an all-powerful, boom, I'm here, drop the mic, boom. It's all sorted. It happened over a barbecue. And that's what it was. They were were frying fish. And I love the fact that they had breakfast together in the middle of just a McDonald's breakfast. Good old Irish fry up. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter's response is, Lord, you know I do. I wonder whether Peter's heart was breaking. I'm sure it was. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I should have never denied you. I love you. And Jesus is good. Go feed my lambs. A little while later, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know I do. I wonder whether he's kind of looking down at the ground, can't really look at him. And he's stroking the sand. I don't know, poor Ann Beach, I love it when we were kids. Just playing in the sand. Jesus, you know I love you. Good. Go feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? And I wonder whether that's what Jesus wanted. And whether Peter, I don't know, we don't know, but whether Peter looked him straight in the eye and said, Jesus, you know I do. Good. Go feed my lambs. Go do what I've asked you to do. Three denials. Three forgivenesses. See, every one of us drops the ball. Every one of us, every day, gets to a place where we drop the ball. I don't care who we are. If, if you're, you know, you're Brian, you drop the ball. Sorry, Anne, he's not perfect. She knows. she knows. But what I love about the love and the grace and the mercy of God is that no matter how many times we drop the ball when we look Jesus in the eye and we say, you know I love you. He goes, good. Get on with what I've called you to do. You want to know who running with giants is? Running with you guys. Because you see, these guys are you guys 2,000, 3,000 years ago. Just doing what God called you to do. And that's exactly what this is all about. I've got no theology degree. I am honestly amazed sometimes about what God allows me to do. But in simplistic terms, and that's what it is, a simplistic faith. My wife, if she was sitting next to you, she'd tell you exactly that's what it is. I go, God, I ain't got a clue, but you have So today, I intend to give you all of my hang-ups. I intend to give you my finances. I intend to give you my sin life. I intend to give you my work life. I intend to give you everything that I've got to do today. I intend, Lord Jesus, not to lose my rag when I'm in traffic. I intend to be good boss and to actually do good things. And I intend to really tell people all about you and who you are and what you do. And I'm going to start, Lord, as soon as I get out of bed. Because it's always good intentions, and God goes, Yeah, okay. (laughs) Let's just take a walk, shall we? (laughs) Let's just take a walk and see what happens. Today, guys, that's it. For Peter, he was called, and I'm sure he had doubts, but he followed. He had a choice. He had a choice to either go, I'm going to look at the girls, and I'm going to look at the opium, or figure out who Jesus was. He had a choice to get out of the boat, drown, or be saved. He had a choice to deny or accept, and he chose to deny. And we've all done that. And he had a choice to answer the question that Jesus asked of him three times. And then get on and do it. And what happened next? The first three chapters of Acts changed the world. Because Peter finally knew who he was. Time has gone. God bless you guys. Thank you for allowing me to be part of what you're doing. Can I pray for you guys? Father, I thank you for everybody concerned with this this church. Lord, I thank you that this is a church that wants to change the destiny of people on the streets. I thank you that in this room there are giants, everyone, no matter where they're at right now. Because it's not about who we are, but it's about who you are. Lord, I pray that this church would never, ever, ever become religious. I pray that this church would never, ever, ever accept people because they look right, feel like, uh, right, that they, they, they would say the right things and pray the right prayers. But actually, Lord, I pray they'd be honest. Honest enough to know that today is a struggle. Tomorrow might even be worse, but God's overall. For the Belarus children as they come in, Lord, I pray that you, somehow you would touch them. For the 15,000 uh, euros that are needed for this minibus, Father, miracle, please. Miracle, please. Lord, I pray that they could say, it wasn't us. It wasn't us. God turned up. You were able to do exceeding abundantly more than we can ask or even think. That's what your Bible says. And that's what we stand on. Father, bless everybody here, leadership, congregation. Bless all the works. And Lord, I pray that they would know that they are giants running in a community because of who they run with. In Jesus' name, amen.